Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grant. Good morning. Good morning. It's good morning, so everyone. It's good to be with you. Thank you. And it's you look lovely. It's been a couple of weeks. It has, well, I, we've been here, haven't we? Last week, I don't think we owe well, no, the 4th of July. July. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It has been a while. Um, but I have to say that if people haven't seen, and you look lovely in pink today, oh, thank you. but if people haven't seen, there's a, uh, an interview with Forbes out of you right now where you look stunning. <laughs> thank you. And I, and I love most of the interview too, because you know, you're, you're fantastic. Oh, thank you so uh, much. But people should check that out because yeah. if nothing else to see how beautiful and stunning you look, <laughs> like it was really like, oh, she's kind of breathtaking. Thank um, you, but you also say wonderful things and I I just always feel privileged to be Thank you so much. with you and seeing what you're doing, and you're doing a lot right now. We're not going to go into all of that, but, we'll but you're, see. you're up to a whole lot right now. Yes. So check out, uh, look and see the Forbes interview with Dr. Grampuche. It's really uh, very interesting. Uh, hey, we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites, and we're really excited to, to be bringing you that. We are also letting you know that Ask Dr. Doreen is its very own podcast now, Mm -hmm. and you should be subscribing to that podcast feed. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, but also officially uh, on Apple right now, there is a Ask Dr. Doreen um, app. Oh, uh, cool. So we're That's debuting awesome. that, and soon it will be coming on the the other platforms for Androids as well, so you want to be checking that out. If you have questions, like you guys sometimes now will ask us where are we getting the starter questions from, you can visit Dr. Doreen's website. And throw and, them in there. And there is a contact form, uh, uh, a tab, and then you put your question in there, and then the fabulous Marina catches that and makes sure that you get your answer to your question and that we get your question and we're going to answer one of those in just a second. So I hope that wherever you guys are watching, that you're liking, subscribing, doing all those things, letting other people know about the podcast. Very soon, Right now, the podcast is still available. If you've subscribed to the Autism Live um, podcast, you're still going to get Ask Dr. Doreen in your feed for a couple of more weeks. But we, we want you to go over and subscribe because yeah. very soon it's going to stop doing that. Right. And it will only be available to you if you've subscribed 
over on Ask Dr. Doreen for that podcast. So we don't want anybody to miss it if you're a little bit behind on your podcast. So we're double dutying right now, but very soon that will stop. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Are you kidding (laughs) me? Uh, We're saying good morning this morning to Autism Journey with Elijah, to Susie B. And we're so thrilled that you guys are here with us. You guys can be writing in right now on those platforms that we were talking about before, especially on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Um, but again, this show and all of our other shows will be available later on for podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so um, if you don't know Dr. Grampy Shea, if this is your first time, well, welcome. Uh, she's a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 45 years, ladies and gentlemen. You would never know it to look at her face. Uh, but uh, I think that working with all of the young people, uh, but and that's a... You, you've worked with from all babies ages. Yeah, all ages. through, yeah, yeah. you know, school-age kids, teenagers, uh, senior citizens, all the way, adults, yeah. all over. Uh, but I think working with the kids has kept you young. I, think I don't that- know. I, you know that secretly my favorite group is like the, I don't know, 18 to yeah, 20-something-year-olds. The young adults, yeah. Well, I think uh, collectively they all keep you young. Mm-hmm. Plus the people that you have trained over the years to work with those individuals. Those tend oh, to yeah, be really sure. young, passionate people. Definitely. Um, and they kind of bring energy into the room, too. And, Definitely. Uh, so, which is a wonderful thing. Um, so, But you have been working that long, and you, you give us this time every week uh, of, your, of yourself to answer questions and to help people wherever as as they we are. Can. Yes, yes. Whether you are the individual yourself on the spectrum or you are a parent uh, or somebody who's working with these individuals. And so we're thrilled that you're Thank here. Thank you so much. We always have a starting topic. And this morning, our starting topic is building language, getting to conversation. Yep. I know there's a lot of people who, you know, we all thought, well, if we just teach them, well, this is a cup. You know, then that will build conversation. Yeah, it yeah. isn't. It isn't. It doesn't. No, right. Right. <laughs> There's so much more to it. There is. Uh, and you go. Yes, of course. But we didn't know that back then. Uh, and there are probably some of you out there who are like, "Really? That's news to me. I didn't know." That's okay. I'm glad you're here. I want to get to this first question that we had that came in. Hi there. First of all, thank you both. You're doing an amazing job. May God bless you both. Thank, thank you. you for that. Uh, I have a question for you. My son is five. He's got a lot of language, but he doesn't necessarily talk much. He mans and asks simple questions, which is great. Uh, He's got really good play skills. He doesn't have any behavior issues. He's getting better in the nursery. We're doing ABA therapy, but he's not expressing enough. How do I tackle this? How can I make him talk more? I'm modeling, promoting throughout the day. And thank you for writing that question in. Yeah, that's a great question. And it kind of goes to the core of the whole conversation issue, right? And how do we teach conversation? And I was trying to think, what's the easiest way to help this particular parent, but really all parents? Because conversation is one of those things that is different depending on your age, even within typically developing kids, right? So Uh, what could be classified as conversation with, let's say, between two, three, or four-year-olds is very different than what is conversation between, let's say, two 10-year-olds or 18-year-olds or so on. And it gets, it not only gets more, you know, longer and more complicated and more complex, it also changes completely in form and content. So I think it's important 
to try to teach our kids what is age appropriate for them. And when you're looking at, let's say, two five-year-olds, again, the other influence is not just age, it's also culture. And in different cultures, there will be conversations that are quite different. Um, so in certain cultures, there's, you know, not a lot of private sharing. In other cultures, there is a lot of sharing. So about private information, for example. So I think the best thing for you to do is to, first of all, observe peers of that age. And I mean, I'll be very honest, when we started writing lessons towards conversation, and I'll talk about those lessons in a minute, but when we started developing our whole conversation, social conversation area of the curriculum, it had a lot to do with just observing kids of different ages and also researching what are the expectations uh, of the various age norms, right? And I think um, you can also do the same thing, which is kind of look at the kids in your child's class or around your child, maybe cousins or so on that are about the same age, and not just look at the frequency of their conversation, but the type. Uh, I think this parent wrote, for instance, one of the first things that happens, and we don't really classify this as a part of conversation, um, but it's just part of language is one of the first things is asking for things. Yeah. Asking for things is, is what we call manning, and it's basically the very first uh, form of useful language where a child realizes that, oh, I can use my words to get access to the things that I want, right? That's not necessarily conversation. Conversation is a little bit different in the sense that there's no um, direct reinforcer of a tangible item, for instance, but there's a long-term or indirect reinforcer involved, which is just social discourse. Let's call it that, right? So like, why do we have conversation? It's for a lot of very cognitive reasons. For instance, uh, we are upset about something and we want to share that pain with someone else and they will, because we think they might understand us or console us, or we had something exciting happen and we want to share that with someone so that they can um, commend us or whatever, you know, talk about something exciting they did. So there's lots of very cognitive and abstract reasons that we engage in social behavior and that, I think, is one of the things we overlook when we're teaching conversational skills. So there's this, I guess, very concrete steps that are involved, and we'll talk about that. But there's also this whole abstract thing that has to do with teaching the individual to consider uh, communication with another person to be rewarding. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with going back to theory of mind, kind of being able to predict what they're thinking, being able to share their thoughts, share your thoughts, all that sort of stuff. And just being around other kids and having fun with other kids is really, really important. It helps motivate the child. And, it, it, and then what happens is they become conversational because they want to fit in and enjoy the fun activities. So that's basically one of the things that you have to do is to make sure that when your child is with other kids, they're having fun. They're enjoying, they're doing something fun. And you can be a big part of that because you can provide 
you know, activities like yeah, fun toys, objects, things that can make sure everybody's having fun. This is why it becomes really, really important for kids not to be exposed to social conversation situations until they are capable enough to actually succeed. Because the worst thing that can happen is a child can be involved in a social situation and have a bad experience, and that will honestly delay their desire to socialize. And the desire to socialize is a really big, big um, motivator for conversation. Okay. So now, with regards to conversation itself, you have to um, look at content. And the content, there is a lot of different things. We start with... So wherever your child's language is, let's say your child is manding, the next step to manding, manding is requesting, the next step to that. And, and by the way, you want to make sure they're manding. There's multiple levels of manding or requesting. So the first one is an object is in front of the child and the child is prompted to by looking at the object to ask for it. That's the most simple form of it. After that, we want to make sure the child is asking for things that are not visible. After that, we want to make sure the child is asking for activities and not just tangible objects or people or places or other types of things that the child might want. Okay, so we've mastered manning, and now the next step is usually tacting. And tacting is where you uh, point out or describe things in your environment uh, just to share information, not to, not to get anything out of it, but just to share so an example of this is when a very young child will run over to a peer or to, like, will run over to a peer and say, um, look at my new necklace. Yeah. Or will run to mom and dad and say, I made this drawing. Okay, so that's yeah. tacting. It's just sharing of something. It's basically one of the early forms of joint attention because you're trying to get the other individual to see something from your perspective. And that's, uh, you know, the very early forms of bonding has yeah. to do with that. I remember being so excited because you guys were trying to teach this to Jem. Yeah. And we went driving around to look at Christmas lights. And my mom and I were in a conversation. And from the back seat, he said, lights! Yeah, there lights! You go. And I went, he did it! Exactly. He did it! Exactly. He wants us to know that he saw the lights. Exactly. And I about exactly. crashed the car. My mother went, what just happened? <laughs> Your, your, your four-year-old just said lights, and I was like, it's huge. Mom. It is huge. huge. It is huge. Yeah, because there's so much that goes into that. The, the, the child, you know, we might think the child is just uttering a label, but really what they're doing is they're realizing that you may not be watching the same stuff they're watching and they want to get your attention onto that thing. So it's an invitation. It's an invitation to share minds. Yes. And that's huge, right? Yes. Especially in autism. So tacting becomes the next level and it's really important. Then we go on to what we call intraverbals. <clears throat> Excuse me. And intraverbals are when there is no specific visible item but the child wants you to join minds and share something that is not necessarily visibly present at the moment, right? Like, yesterday I did so-and-so. So one of the things that I often tell parents is to focus on when, you know, and this is a big thing for parents too, when a child comes home from school and you ask, how was your day, right? And that's a very broad statement, and a lot of times it takes a really long time for our kids to figure out what we expect when we ask that question. So help the child by 
working with either if they have an aide in the classroom or the teacher, the teacher could just before coming home give you a list of kind of things that occurred that day. And it, by the way, um, when you ask someone, just think about these things. When you ask someone, how was your day? They're not going to start with this morning, I did this, then I did this. They're always going to start with the most important or unusual thing. If something unusual happens, that's always the first thing we tell someone. Right. Right. This morning, very early in the morning, my husband left to take my son to the airport and he had a bunch of experiences. I had a bunch of experiences. So when we connected at like 8 a.m., the very first thing we said was, oh, yeah, and this happened to me. And this happened. it's always the unusual stuff or stuff that is um, just stays with you more. Right? right. Like was just unexpected. Right. So that's the first thing you want to ask, teach your child. If there's ever an unexpected thing in their day, that's the first thing they need to kind of tell you about. Because our kids don't know <clears> that. <throat> exactly. They, they bury the lead all the time. They'll just, <laughs> and, and they kind of want to get you off their back, sort of. Right, so they're like, right. and then I went to English class or whatever and it is. And we had lunch. Yeah, and we had lunch. Thing. Yes, yes. You know? And exactly. then you find out that there was a fire drill <clears throat> and there was the kitchen caught on fire and you're like, Barry, Why the you tell me about that <laughs> exactly exactly and and by the way unusual things you again you got to think out of the box because there's a lot of stuff that can be unusual when i say unusual things it's not just like there's a fire alarm right. it could also be so and so didn't come to school okay yes. so that's an unusual thing the teacher laughed at a joke like anything that is out of the ordinary or is classified as an event, right? Something right. that happened that doesn't happen in the course of every day. So those are the things they have to list first. The best, honestly, the best way, I had a parent who used to actually ask the teacher if it was okay to record like a few hours of the child's day with a mini recorder in the child's backpack. And that gave the parent massive leads as to how to, communicate with yeah. the child and converse. But you do need a visual or an auditory, some sort of prompt to know what actually took place because it's very, very hard to uh, keep prodding the child to give yeah. you more information. It's, it's, much more, it's much more feasible to do this if you have the ability to lead. Yeah. We had the aide would send home. Just, <clears throat> exactly. You know, just like, here's how the day went. But then she would say, ask him about exactly. these three things. So exactly. So you had a prompt. Exactly. Yeah. And you'd want to have, like, you know, you can start with just one. And you don't want to, like, you don't want to turn this into, like, a very long exercise, obviously. Oh, they get so bored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and frustrated. Yeah. So you kind of want to have, like, you start out with one and make it very, very rewarding. Like if the child says, oh, yeah, and, you know, the teacher spilled something at lunch. That is fantastic. Reward that. Be all excited about that. That's good because then your child learns every day I'm going to come home with one new interesting thing that occurred and mom's going to be very excited or dad's going to be very excited. And then gradually they'll add more things. Like you can ask and anything interesting in gym class or whatever. And you can add because you know ahead of time some of the things that occurred, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if, if it's hard to do that with a child who's going to school, remember 
You can also start this exercise if you're doing it over the weekend. Let's say if you go to a park, something happens, you talk about it while it's happening, and then later on you're asking your child, like, can you tell me some stuff that happened at the park? Like, what was... Because tell me about should be its own lesson. And we have... This is a really, really important lesson where you're getting the child to, like, realize that you were not there or you may not have seen the same thing they saw, and now they have to tell you all about it. And you can do this in so many different ways, right? I mean, you can have the child watch a five-minute segment of something on TV, and you walk into the room and say, tell me about what that was. And, of course, if you've seen that before, you'll know and you'll be able to prompt. Getting the child to tell you about something is super, super important, and then you can start shaping it. Because a lot of times our kids will just describe things in a very concrete manner. And what you're trying to do is get the abstract stuff. Like, how did she feel after that? What happened then? Was it scary? You know, like all the stuff that kids don't talk about. The other stuff that's very important in social in communication is understanding after the child is able to talk about stuff, you start shaping it in different ways because it's more about like, who's your audience? Like when a child talks to you as a parent, the, the... Things they describe and the way that they describe them are going to be very different than if they're talking to a peer, to a teacher, to an adult they don't know, things like that. And that that becomes very important to identify the levels of the audience, the setting, like where are you? Are there other kids in the group also talking about this? Um, you know, how, how do they, how can they describe these things and allow other kids to also have a turn? Those types of things. And, and there's a lot that goes into shaping it into a more fluent type of conversation. But really, you have to go through those steps that I described. And the best thing you can do is observe other kids and observe the types and the content and also the emotion behind their, their conversation and just practice those with your child. Do you know what has blown my mind in this whole conversation, though, is that I never really thought about before what makes conversation rewarding. Yeah. That phrase of what's in it for me. Yep. And just realizing for myself that there are some people that I love to talk to. Yeah. But I just love to talk to them. And then there are other people that I'm like, oh, I got to call that person. I know. Right? And and thinking about the difference between like what is reinforcing about. And the people that I have a hard time talking about, it's because I don't really know what my footing is in the conversation. People I love to talk to are people who find me hilarious. Like, I, like if I can make <laughs> oh, somebody laugh, go. like, I enjoy talking to them. There if you I go. can make them there laugh. Okay. Uh, and can I just yeah. stop there? Because that is goes to the core of why we socialize. Yeah. And it's a really, really important point because... We socialize. We do pretty much, I mean, as you all know, I always talk about all behavior is motivated by gaining access to something or avoiding something, right? The reason we socialize is because we gain access to a feeling of self-contentment and self, like we feel good about ourselves when we hang out with certain people. Yeah. We don't feel good about ourselves when we hang out with other people. Like you just said, you like socializing with people that find you hilarious. That's because it's a message of success. You have accomplished what you set out to accomplish. It's like, oh, I feel really good because I'm, you know, I'm making them laugh. And that's so key to this because our kids don't really understand how to get that or who they can get that from. Yeah. 
I'm I'm going to have to process because that's a whole other yeah. way of looking at things. Yeah, it that is. That I hadn't thought about before is why is conversation reinforcing to our kids? Right. And how can, and everybody's different. Like I imagine that, you know, I that it's a little weird that I need to be hilarious to people to find that reinforcing that other people probably, you know, it's a like they feel good when people appreciate their advice or their knowledge or, you know, that's, that's probably right. everybody that's has. Right. A, everybody has a different thing. Right. And so and it also is. Oh God, there's so much to say about this topic. There, people are also there. That initial motivating thing is masked by other feelings as well. So, for instance, someone might really enjoy, you know, getting approval. Yeah. But at the same time, they are very anxious, yeah. and that masks the need for approval. So, there's so much that goes into this yeah. whole thing. You have to, the people that you mostly, and this is very important for our kids, that's why they, that's why they form groups. That's why there are some kids who are, love other kids who are into robotics or other kids who are playing with dolls or whatever it is, because we talk about the same things. We like the same things. We feel like a group, right? Yeah. And that becomes super important for your child. And, but also remember, your child might really have that desire and motivation, but there could be other things that are masking that, like anxiety. Yeah. And they would rather not have that feeling of, oh, and anxiety is just the feeling of, I will fail. Yes. That's what that is. So if you can get the child a little bit better at whatever it is that they want to converse about, and they feel safer that they're not going to be mocked or fail or be ejected from the group, then social communication increases. Such a fascinating topic. I'm going to go to some of the questions that you guys have written so many in, coming in, and then we'll come back. We'll cycle back to this topic. But um, Sarah has written in and said, Hello, Dr. Doreen and Shannon. Hope you're doing well. I have a question. Boys are doing well, currently on level three of VB map, but there is one skill that is still missing at level one response to name. It's not like they don't know their names or they never respond, but it's not consistent or just in a structured setting. The reflex action when somebody says their name is not there, we've tried to teach it with restricting name usage and then giving reinforcement didn't work. Therefore now hasn't come naturally or with direct teaching. So what I would do, and don't worry about this too much, but I guess the initial thoughts I have on this, Sarah, one is um, call their name and link response to name to a very powerful reinforcer. And if they don't respond, they lose it. Make a big deal of them losing it. I hate to say that, but then their awareness will increase because they'll be like, oh, I don't want to lose the lollipop. And I only get the lollipop when I respond to my name. Right. And over time, believe me, the ch our kids are so smart, they will figure out, oh, uh, my name, the lollipop, that becomes an SD, right? It becomes a discriminative stimulus that's attached to a reinforcer very clearly. And then they will, <clears throat> that's the key to it. Like we respond to name again, Every behavior has to do with getting something good or avoiding something bad. We respond to name because either when we respond to name, something good is about to happen, like yeah. a conversation or someone's giving us something or whatever. Or if we don't respond to name, something bad will happen. The teacher gets mad at you. You lose an opportunity. That's why, right? 
And so make sure that you clarify that for the child by making sure every time they respond to name, it goes back to the basics. Anytime a child doesn't master something, increase the reinforcer, focus on that one thing, and then start making it more demanding. Initially, it's just get in, sit right in front of them, say their name when they turn around and say, yes, mom, or whatever it is, the response that you want, give them a reward. Don't follow the response to name with a demand because sometimes that's what happens. They respond to name and it immediately is followed by a demand and it becomes a verse. Like, right. I, I don't want to, you know, that's kids who are very clever. It's like they know when you're calling them, oh, yeah. they hide because you're like yeah. now going to ask them to do something. Right. So just make sure it's paired with heavy reinforcer and then you can gradually fade that back again. Okay, wonderful. Uh, Susie B has said, hello, my son is always touching people randomly, not violent, when we're out shopping, at the park, or wherever we go. What can we do to eliminate this behavior? Yeah, so Susie, you have to help me understand kind of what the function of it is. Like, is it, it could be a number of things. Like, is he a texture kid? Like, he likes textures. If that's what he's doing, then you give him an object that has the texture so he's playing with that instead of going up and t touching people. Is he trying to get people's attention? Does he enjoy them turning around and, and so on? If that's the case, you have to make sure that you give him that opportunity in other situations. Is he trying to get negative attention because you get mad at him every time he does that? So what are the antecedents to that behavior on the concept? When it happens... What has just happened before it and what has happened right after it? If you can help me understand that, then we can talk about how to maybe get rid of that. Well, and this is somebody that I had the opportunity to meet. Okay. Um, that you did as well. Yes. Um, and uh, I can tell you that this happened once in an interaction with me. And in that interaction, it was very much that I was doing something that he did not want me to do. But he, okay. wanted, he wanted to do the thing that I was doing. And so, and it wasn't violent, but, you know, it, that was, and instead of saying to me, I want that, I, I want to do that, and I don't want you to do it, you don't get to play with that, um, he came over and, you know, touched me, and, but it wasn't like that he took the thing away from me. It was yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if that's what's happening, then obviously what you're trying to do in this case is to get him to verbalize as a, instead of touching. Right. And, and if you can figure out the reason for his touching, you can find a more appropriate behavior. So if what Shannon said, then what would have been appropriate is for him to come up to Shannon and say, oh, do you mind if I do that? I don't want you to do that. Can I do that yeah. instead of touching? So figure out it's really important to understand why is he touching? The mm -hmm. function is always what we need in order to figure out uh, how to okay. deal with it. And Susie may be writing more. Uh, we got a bunch more questions. Uh, Autism Journey with Elijah. She says, Elijah has recently started screaming and yelling to get his needs met. Mm. He has no limits, bath time, eating, outside activities. I am convinced Elijah likes the sound of yelling and screaming and the vibrations in his head. He calms down when the needs are met, but it does, it does take time, around 10 minutes, and then again, 30 minutes later, we're at it again. How do I calm him without instantly giving in and teaching patients without severe reactions? 
Thank you very much for that lovely question, because yeah. it is such a perfect question to address the whole concept of functions of behavior. There we go. So I can tell you that if he, if the function of this, if the reason for this was just that he likes the sound, he'd be doing it all day. Okay. It wouldn't be just when he wants something. So, oh, wow. Yeah, Powerful. That's that. So the function of it is not that he enjoys the sound. The function of it is that he wants something. He's asking for something. You just told us that. So what happens is he screams and you come and give him what it is he wanted. Okay. So he learns screaming is a very functional way of communicating. I want something. What you need to do, and I hate to tell you this, <laughs> is not give him anything when he screams. And if you know what it is he wants, now be very careful because sometimes it could just be attention. Yeah. But if you know what it is he wants, because I think you named bath time, um, eating, outside activity. I don't, I don't know what the things are that he wants. If you know what they are, you need to model for him to use language and ask for it. Could be nonverbal as well. You could ask for it with an icon with a picture and give it to him then, not when he's screaming. The screaming, I, I'm sorry, and I know you can probably handle it because I know you and you're pretty, pretty amazing. amazing mom. <laughs> Could go on for as doesn't matter, like until, exhausted could, until he loses his voice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let him go for it. But the idea behind this is he needs to understand that the screaming does not get him what he wants. That's yeah. just the most important thing I can tell you. The screaming does not get what he wants. Doesn't work. Only using communication, verbally or non-verbally, is what gets him what he wants. This is what's tough about this, though, is because, you know, for anybody who's ever been to Vegas, this is the whole slot machine thing. Yeah, yeah. Why do we put yeah. quarters in the slot machine? Yeah. We don't win every time, yeah. but occasionally you do. Yeah. And, and when she says to you, he can't get what he wants for screaming, it means ever. Ever. Because if you give it to him every 15th time, then it becomes the slot machine thing. It becomes even worse, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is what parents don't understand. They're like, I did so well, and then I gave in. Yeah. And, and you have to realize you really can't do that. And the only thing yeah. that worked for me that you guys said to me is... In the moment that it's happening, you have to have an inner monologue for yourself. Definitely. And that, you know, I had to be saying to myself, I, I know what he wants. I'm deliberately not going to give him that because I'm teaching him right now that this doesn't work. And if I do this and if I hold tight, then this might be the last time we ever have to go through this. Exactly. And that's the only way that I could get through it. Yeah. And here's another couple of tricks. And I want to explain this whole thing that Shannon was talking about. It's called a variable ratio of schedule of reinforcement. I just call it the slot machine. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So here, another, by the way, just trick is to set yourself a number, like let's say 50, and say, I am going to not respond for the next 50 tantrums or 50 times Ooh. and start counting them. Yeah. Every time he screams, this is number one. I mean, the maximum you're going to get is like 10 a day. And by the fifth day, he will have figured it out. So what I'm trying to say is this is so all human behavior. Like, just think about yourself. If you um, 
are rewarded for doing something every single time you do it, then the very first time that you don't get a reward, you're going to be like, what, what on earth happened here? Why am I not getting a reward? So any kind of example I can give you, like you go to work because you get paid, right? The first time you don't get a paycheck, you're going to be objecting, having a hissy fit, freaking out, figuring out what on earth happened here. And probably it will immediately stop going to work with our kids, you know, with, with immediate behaviors. They will question why they didn't get, like when he's screaming, and if he screams and normally you'll go in and give him an object to calm him down, as soon as you stop, he's going to be like, why am I not getting the object? Maybe she didn't hear me. Maybe I need to scream louder. Maybe I need to also now, like, you know, punch the wall, whatever yeah, it is. It's always worked before. I think I'll try harder now. I'll try harder now. And that's called an extinction burst. And you have to live through that, too, because once the child has gone through that, they'll suddenly realize, oh, no, it doesn't matter how hard I try. I'm not getting what I want when I scream. I need to find a different way of communicating. And believe me, it works. Now, the problem with the slot machine thing is that we don't always get rewarded, right, on, on a slot machine. We get rewarded like one out of 20 times. So that's how little of a reinforcer we're looking for. And what happens is when you're on a schedule like that, your behavior just keeps going on for a very long time. What, what that means in practical terms is that he screams, and you, once in every 20 times that he's screaming, you give in, okay? What's going to happen now is it's going to be a lot longer for yeah. he, him to stop screaming because he's only used to getting your attention for 20 screams. Yeah. So he will scream multiple blocks of 20 before giving up. So please, if you try to put a child on extinction for some behavior, stick with it. It gets it's worse if you give in after a few attempts. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But it's, it's very, very it's hard. It's so worthwhile. Very, guys. very hard. And the other part of it that you alluded to is that the, at the same time that all this is going on, you teach them the appropriate way to get the thing that they want. That's oh, absolutely, key. absolutely. That's key. So that, you know, you are modeling for him. And, it shortens and, and the whole process. You know what he wants and, you know, you know that he wants the cookie or whatever. Exactly. And you're, you know, you're modeling and, and, exactly. and prompting, you know, ask for the cookie and you can have it. Uh, okay, we're going back to the language thing now. Honey has written in and said, Hi there, my son is five. He answers questions when I ask him about where he went and Great. what he did, but he doesn't share the events himself. How do I teach that? I want him to share things and talk about it. Now, you kind of just went through this uh, a minute ago. Do we just tell her to watch no, the tape No, no, I think uh, here's a quick response that'll help you. Okay. Um, if you can, pre I would produce like a visual board for the child. So... Uh, I what I was saying earlier is that you kind of want to have the events that you expect him to talk about, starting with the most important event of what happened and then other things. Uh, like, let's say the most important event is we had a fire drill. The next one is my best friend and I played whatever. And then, you know, at lunch something happened. Whatever those events are, again, you have to get, you have to know the events. But the way that you prompt it without prompting it vocally is you give the child a visual board. So you have, let's say, um, whether if they can read, then it's very easy because you'll write out the events. If they cannot read, you're going to need pictures, right? And remember, this activity of being able to talk about things doesn't have to have only with what happened to them. 
It could also be from a story. It could be from a TV show. It could be anything. But you'll have a kind of a visual prompt board, and the child will look at that and be like, "Oh yeah, um, first this happened, and then this happened, and then that happened." So whenever you feel like you're in a you're stuck in a situation where the child's not responding unless you ask, use a visual board instead of asking. Wonderful. Uh, Rhythmicity, which I love that name, says, Hi, thanks so much for all you do for the autism community. My Thank son you. is three, diagnosed in February, getting ABA at an ABA center 40 hours a week. Good Congratulations job. Congratulations to job. you since April. He's starting to say hi and bye during drop off, uh, when I drop him off pickup time. However, his language consists of words here and there and singing songs. He also gets a high dose of vitamin D3 plus K2 fish oil and protein powder the, uh, to further stimulate language. What are your thoughts on incorporating devices that stimulate the vagus nerve, cranial electrotherapy stimulation products like AlphaStim? Yeah. I don't know anything about I, So you just started your April, we're talking May, June, July. I would do nothing but continue doing what you're doing because you just started getting ABA and you're, if your child in three months has already started saying hi and bye, as long as they have a decent curriculum, uh, they'll fill your child's language abilities. I don't think you should be doing anything like vagal nerve stimulation. Remember, you can cause damage if you stimulate the vagus nerve for, you know, with various types of electrical stimulation or anything else. I would do none of that. I would just focus on teaching the language that your child should be speaking. And this is really good progress for someone who's just been doing ABA for three months. Let me ask you this, though. What, what do you think about methyl B12 for a child yeah. like this? Would you do I just, that? No, I wouldn't. Would, like, I've okay. always said, on, so there's, here's what I would do. You're doing great. You're, he's learning, he or she is learning, and you're moving forward, right? Yeah. Definitely at any time, a child, a, a parent should do uh, blood tests, urine tests, figure out if there are any deficiencies for sure for any child, whether it's before or after or during ABA, it doesn't matter. If there's a deficiency, then yes, you want to okay. make sure you fill that in. The other circumstance is if your child has plateaued in learning. If your child has gotten to a point where they're not learning and you're like, I don't understand, this is great therapy, everything's being done in, in, well in the ABA protocols, he's getting his reinforcers, he's sleeping well, I don't understand. That's when you start turning to things like, well, maybe I should help stimulate with some form of vitamin or something else that could be lacking that's not showing up in the tests. But that's the, you don't want to, just don't mess with a good thing, yeah, right? If things are moving forward, just keep moving forward. Okay. Stephen wants to know, hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. I wanted to ask you about doing a second evaluation for autism. Do I tell the doctor about the original diagnosis? My son has been in ABA speech and OT for four years now. Stephen, it depends. If you think, if you're, what's, you know, it depends on your goal for the evaluation. If your goal, if you're wondering if your child still qualifies for a diagnosis of autism, then you can just go in blind and ask the individual to do an evaluation for for whatever. Just do an evaluation, right? And a psychologist would is going to ask you what do you need your the evaluation for. Just describe behaviors and say, you know, is everything normal with my child? If that's 
the reason for the evaluation. But a lot of times people will go in for a secondary evaluation in order to find uh, areas of deficit, areas that need to be worked on. And if that's the case, let's not waste time with trying to withhold information from whoever is doing the evaluation. Let's go in and say, this is his diagnosis. I want to know what areas we need to work on or uh, you know, how is his memory? What else can I do to, what are some other things we can do to help my child learn better? Is he a visual learner, an auditory learner? Does he have good working memory? Does he have the ability to integrate information? You know, that's neuropsych testing. So really it has to do with what your purpose is. If you feel like your child is really close to typical developing and like you're wondering if people, if there is still any remnant of the autism diagnosis, then certainly go in and get a new evaluation. But, you know, it depends on the circumstance, really. We're saying hi to Nicholas. Susie wrote back in and said, uh, because you asked about the function, what does he want? She said, I'm not sure. It might be attention. Yeah. And again, uh, the way to figure that out, Susie, is to see... If what happens when he touches people, like obviously if he touches people and they just look at him, they're getting attention. He's getting attention, right? So perhaps you want to practice. And if he touches you or someone in the household, tell them just don't even look at him. See what he does. If he tries to touch you more and more, then you're right. It is for attention. And then you just need to focus on trying to teach him different ways to get attention. So, for example, he could go up to people and say, excuse me, yeah. that, and make sure you work on that, right? Or, uh, you know, whatever the appropriate language is for that particular situation that you're in. But, again, first test it at home and see, hey, if you don't look, if you don't turn to him when he looks at you, what happens? Will he try harder? Then you know for sure it's for attention. Okay. NH Pop says, my son can speak in relatively complex sentences at times, but some of the time he just reverts to shorter three to four word, less precise sentences, especially when he's not motivated by the scenario or conversation. It's almost like it's not worth his effort to use all his words slash grammar. I know he's capable of any ideas on how to gently encourage more consistent use of full sentences. Yes. uh, Five and three quarters years old, by the way. Yes. Yes. Very good observations from you as a as a parent uh, and that and you hit it you hit the nail on the head exactly uh, part of the reason that our kids don't communicate in elaborate sentences is because it is harder it is harder they have to uh, imagine if you had a second language right and I, I speak other languages and I know that when I haven't spoken a language for a while and I've lost fluency in it uh, it becomes really hard to pull words in that are descriptive or different tenses and so on. And so it reduces my, my, um, the word, the language flowing easily, right? So I use shorter sentences because A, I don't want to make mistakes. B, I don't remember those words and so on. So fluency, really, really, really knowing a language is very vital to, to using complex elaborate sentences. So what you should do at this point is um, if you, you know, this is why I sometimes say that it's really important to continue doing some, some aspect of ABA for a while 
until the child really gains fluency. Like when we used to teach at CARD, it was always like starting out with an errorless form of ABA, which means like you're prompting a lot and making sure the child's successful every time. Then going to discrete trial, which is like a very kind of rote version of ABA where you're really teaching most of the content in that format and then going to natural environment and then going to air to fluency. Fluency is really important and that's where you are throwing stuff at the child and they're responding immediately in a timed process, right? So you know that they're very fluent. Things come fast to them. Um, practice content, whether it's vocabulary or descriptors, functions, you know, descriptors are things, everything, short, long, colors, I don't know, textures, all those things that go into expanding language. Practice those things. And then the other thing is when your child responds in very short sentences, act like you don't understand. Uh, this is the, uh, <laughs> what was that? What did you just say? I, I'm not sure what you said. Or give them the wrong thing. If they're asking for something and it's not clear, give them. And that'll get the child to understand, oh, I need to explain more. Mm -hmm. I didn't want the truck. I wanted the red truck. Mm. Um, I didn't want to just go out right, outside of the house and back in, I wanted to go out to the mall. So, you know, follow through with the ridiculous thing that you could have understood from what they said, or just act like, I don't know what you said, T tell me better, right? And, and, and everyone needs to do that, by the way. Like, if you're the only one doing that, then your child will stop communicating with you and start communicating with others. Just make sure that... In his environment, there's an expectation of more clear language. Here we go. Getting back to that what's in it for me thing. Yeah. I got to get to this question that came in to us uh, this week from our good friend in Northern Ireland. Uh, she wrote it and said, Hi, Dr. Doreen. My son is now 18 years old, ASD, ADHD, SLD, anxiety, on 20 milligrams of fluxetine mm -hmm. and has one more year of school left. His teacher has talked a lot about everything changing when you leave school. My son has taken this literally and thinks that he is going to change into a different person. Ugh. No amount of reassurance is helping to ease his anxiety. His OCD behavior has increased mm. a lot lately. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have any advice on how I can help him? Gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, what a terrible situation. I mean, I think you need to have the teacher who evoked that anxiety get involved and try to help clarify. I mean, you know, you're already on an SSRI. Um, you're, he's already taking a, a dose of Prozac, so you can't really go beyond that. Um, but I think that it becomes really important for the teacher to start getting involved, and I don't know exactly your level, the, your child's level of comprehension here, so it's hard for me to to express what you can do, but I think it's just a matter of clarifying what change means. And so perhaps it's like you can show him examples of things that will change in his life so that he understands that it's not something to fear. Yeah. So for example... One thing that will change is his schedule. Mm -hmm. So go through that with him and explain, oh, this will change. Like in the morning, now when you wake up, we will do these things, whatever it is that you've planned for him. Uh, another thing that might change is he'll, and always try to um, 
you know, really emphasize the positive side of the changes. So like you'll see more of us or you'll be able to, you know, ride this bus, not that bus, whatever it is that are that those are the positive things that are coming explain to him and put them all under the category of these are the changes, Yeah. right? So that he understands and starts to be able to, actually, you might even want to practice them with him so he starts to feel more comfortable. What about watching and teaching this with, like, movies and television yeah. shows and showing, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a single movie, but we know all know that they're out there, a movie where somebody's in high school yeah. and then they graduate and now maybe they get a job and they dress a little bit differently, but they're yep. the same yep. person. Exactly. They're I mean, just it an really, adult. Absolutely. It really has to do with what's going to happen for him. Yes. And just giving him as much exposure to examples of that, whether it's in a movie or in a story uh, or just, you know, practicing yeah. it with him or writing it out, whatever it is, just give him exposure because... When we have anxiety about something or apprehension, this is apprehension because yeah. it's anxiety about something that hasn't happened yet. When we have apprehension, it's because we imagine things that are not necessarily even going to happen. Yeah. So the more you can give him clarity about what that change means, the more it'll help him settle down. But I love the advice about going back to the source and having them help. For sure. We both know somebody that um, the dad passed away and the pastor yeah. said to the young uh, man on the spectrum whose dad had died, because uh, he said, to the, the young man said to the pastor, I want to see my dad again. I, and the pastor, thinking about his job, said, you will see your dad again. Yeah. And the young man said, when? And he said, when you die, you can see him again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The, the amount of mess that that created yeah. um, and had to be unraveled. And the only person who could successfully unravel it was the pastor. Yeah. Going yeah. back to yeah. the, the source. Okay. We have to be careful what we say to the, uh, these young people. because I mean, they, it's hard because they do think take things literally they in do. some cases. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Sarah said another quick question. Uh, we always talk about children receiving 40 hours of intensive one-to-one -one per week initially, which I 100% agree. Can you speak a little bit about the duration of that 40 hours one-to-one? -one? Mm -hmm. When do you reduce it? What, sh what stage should we reduce it? Uh, and they said, would be great if Shannon, uh, also that you could speak about your experience. We would like to follow your success story. Yeah. Bless your heart. But what do you want to say? So, and there's another question I see from another parent that's talking about a uh, child has been in ABA since three and they're a great team. And I want to think school is the right plan. So it's kind of like asking about what happens future. So, this, so I'm going to talk about, uh, try to answer both here okay. because we only have a few minutes. Um, so usually the way that it works with ABA and going from a comprehensive intensive program to a less comprehensive intensive is based on the child and based on the circumstances that come with age. So that is part of the reason that we say early intervention. Obviously, early intervention allows us the most what we call flexibility and malleability of the brain. So the brain can learn a lot more before the age of seven, right? Four to seven is when we learn multiple languages because our brain is, you have a lot of growth of nerve cells, dendrites and axons and so on, but you also still have flexibility for where those dendrites are actually going to grow, what part of your brain. So those are the, the key years, right? So you start with a child in a comprehensive program based on at least 
this is my view of how what a comprehensive program is supposed to do. You do a, an, a, a, like a heavy-duty evaluation assessment of the child to figure out what things they need to learn to catch up to their peers. It's similar to any kind of tutoring, all right? There's always a norm. So, like, we want to teach this child to get to third-grade math. That's the norm. What are other kids in that third-grade math able to do? That's what I want to teach. It's the exact same thing with ABA and our kids. It's like in the areas of language, cognitive skills, executive functioning skills, adaptive self-help, motor skills, play skills, social skills, and academic, all of those areas, what are other children of this age doing? I want to teach my child everything to get to their level or close to their level. That's what's called a normal scale, right? And that that becomes the supermarket of skills that we have to teach our child. Now, when you start in an ABA program and you have, let's say, usually these comprehensive programs are only funded either for two to three years or up to a certain age. So, for example, if you're starting and your child is two, you have until age five to do a lot of this comprehensive work. If your child starts at five, you probably are going to have a little bit of an argument from your insurance, health insurance, because they're not going to want to do three years of heavy, intensive programming. But the goal, putting funding aside... Your goal is to take those early years and teach as much as you possibly can before another situation of life comes on top, which is academics. And in a lot of states in the U.S., at least, you have to be in a school program, whether it's by age five or three or depends on the state you're in. So before that hits, you want to get all the other stuff taught. So therefore, I would do, I would fight to have an intensive program going for my child as long as my child still needs to learn new skills. And while you're doing that, you just evaluate your child. If this year, if my child has already mastered all the skills they need and they're almost age appropriate, then what you do is you start fading out the program. The way that we would normally fade the program is we would have 40 hours all at home in the first year or clinic, um, all one-to-one. Second year, if the child's already at the point where they can function and are at the age of, let's say, preschool or nursery school, then I would go a little bit into preschool, maybe eight, nine hours a week, of, but I'd still have an ABA therapist with the child, and then the rest of it, so like 32 hours, I'm still doing at the clinic or at home. So all the afternoons and the weekend of the child are still getting one-to-one. Then the next year, I would maybe increase the school exposure a little bit, so maybe 15 hours in school, and now I'm doing 25 hours everywhere, the clinic and so on. And then the last year, the fourth year, I'd probably try to increase school again, which is 25 hours or so. And then I would start eliminating what is at the clinic or home. And that's, you know, I honestly, it just is a matter of what 
uh, your focus is. And that's what I just said. Those four years is kind of like the ideal situation where the child is learning everything and you're able to move them into a school setting because that's where they will end up. But if your child is still stuck on certain areas and perhaps you're not going to go to regular education, you're going to go to special ed, that's fine too. You can go into special ed, but maintain like 15, 20, 25, whatever you can at home because that home portion or, or at, at, the, at a center, because that one-to-one center-based or home-based therapy is like tutoring. It's like intensive tutoring. So you really maintain that for as long as you can, as long as the child needs it. Yeah. Hard to explain all that. Well, and it's so individualized, right? It's so hard it's to say, step one, do exactly. this, step two, do exactly. this, because every kiddo is different. Exactly. But I pretty much did what you described. Yes. Because uh, they yes. asked for our story. And I do want to say the good father has written in and said, uh, hi, hi, Dr. Doreen has seen my child. We're from India. He got intensive ABA for two years. Now goes Great. to neurotypical school with minimal support. Also gets ABA 10 hours a week with guidance from Dr. Sue. We love yeah. Dr. Sue. He is doing good and conversational, though continues to have some deficits. He is gaining more skills with therapy. Should we assume that he will require ABA indefinitely? Or are there some endpoints? There this kind are of goes, endpoints. This yeah. goes along with what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it's kind of like... Um, if you look at ABA as a con- either at a certain point, it's kind of like uh, tutoring. Yeah. And then it, it, it could even in the older years of the child be more like psychological services. Yeah. So what happens is you're either like tutoring and teaching the child areas that they still need in terms of academics or daily living or functional skills, adaptive skills, language, whatever, or you move very much into dealing with things that are social skills, executive functioning skills, cognitive skills. And guess what that is? That's therapy. That is psychotherapy. And what you do in therapy, and some people have therapy most of their lives, yes. right? It's just going to someone and asking them to help you analyze your life. And that could potentially, I mean, I've had children who were in pure ABA with me for 10 years. And then after that, just had kind of like would catch up and would touch base when they needed some help with something. Yeah. We've run out of time. But I do want to say that, for you know, the one thing that I want to say is that for me, I was always weighing, because once I saw how much progress we were getting with ABA, but I I wanted to keep doing ABA. School kept saying, we want to have him because school is going to say that, right? Mm -hmm. And it was this battle and I was somewhere in the middle. But what always got me to go to school was so that he, when you guys would tell me he's ready for the social component and then, and he, and that he was ready for that. I was lucky because I had a team that I trusted and that's key. It's so hard as a parent because you want to trust your gut always and I do think that a parent's gut is really, really important. Although yeah. you have to be careful when your gut is being fearful. Absolutely. For no reason. Absolutely. And sometimes my gut does that. And then I would turn to my team that I trusted. And help them guide you. Yeah. Exactly. Before we end, Shannon, I yes. know we're going over time, but can I just help Ari real quickly? Because yes. I, I see that Ari wrote back and he's talking about his son who's eight has been in ABA since he was three. And it's nonverbal. Great team. But now he wrote in that he's nonverbal. So this is, you're going down a different path, Ari, and I don't know, you know, so he's had five years of ABA and he's nonverbal. So the question to you is, 
what's his future path? Is he communicating, even if he's nonverbal, if he, is he communicating through an iPad, which is probably the goal that you have if he's nonverbal? If he is, great, and you can maintain your team and continue to teach content non-verbally. If he isn't, that's the focus. And yes, you should continue. You can go to special ed or whatever, but maintain your ABA program because your goal is to teach your child to be as functional as possible while non-verbal. Doesn't mean, the fact that he's non-verbal doesn't mean that there's not a million other things he can do. He can communicate through an iPad, which means teaching him keyboarding, teaching him writing, reading, words, labels, uh, expressing himself through that, communicating through that, so many other things that have to be done for a nonverbal child. And all those other things that don't require language as well, like dressing himself, making food for himself, going bathroom, you know, grooming, etc. So if those things have been mastered, great. If they haven't been mastered, you're continuing with your ABA program. He says using speech device and signs to communicate, he understands a lot. Great. Yes, we great. always have to presume great. intelligence. Great. And, and I, again, as I said, focus, continue the ABA program so they can teach him all those other things that are still necessary for life. But beyond the school, if you're going to go to beyond school, the beyond school. the school and make sure that they're giving, because a lot of times school doesn't understand nonverbal and they don't understand the presumed intelligence piece. Exactly. So beyond them. Exactly. Okay. We're out of time, my friends. Um, but uh, we've got a big show tomorrow. Um, we're going to have Alex Lynn is going to be joining us talking about the big Autism Rocks concert happening in Los Angeles on Saturday night. But then we also have a, a, a team that is creating a new video game where it's not just that the main character is on the spectrum, but they're going to be incorporating sensory things into the game. Wow, They've got awesome. a survey right now that they want you all to awesome. participate in. So that is tomorrow. And then on th- uh, Friday, we have a new Let's Talk All the Things with Rachel Bird. She's got an amazing gluten-free, dairy-free lasagna recipe for you guys. You're going to love it. So uh, be back with us tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. Don't forget to subscribe to the Ask Dr. Doreen podcast, and you can ask questions on her website. So make sure that you do that. All right? Thanks, bye-bye. everyone. Bye-bye. Uh, and give your kiddos a hug from me. Until then, bye-bye. Bye. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there.